This episode of The Matt Ferret Show is brought to you by the Brickhouse Agency. Brickhouse is a boutique independent health insurance agency that focuses on finding the right Medicare coverage for folks across the country. Matt's wife, Nikki, is the heart behind Brickhouse. She's great at making confusing things clear and is passionate about helping people find a Medicare insurance policy that suits their individual needs. To schedule a free one-on-one appointment with Nikki or a member of her team, head on over to BrickhouseAgency.com or simply call 844-844-6565 and someone will help you schedule a phone call or a Zoom meeting. The consultation is free because the insurance companies pay Brickhouse, not you. There's never any pressure or obligation to enroll. Your clearer, simpler Medicare journey is just a call or click away. BrickhouseAgency.com Not affiliated with or endorsed by the government or federal Medicare program. Contacting Brickhouse Agency, LLC will direct you to a licensed insurance agent. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Ferret, author of Prepare for Medicare and Prepare for Social Security Insider's Guidebooks and Online Course Training Series. Welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to successful living in midlife, retirement, and beyond. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Super happy to be here. I'm glad you are. Tell everybody what you do, how long you've been doing it, and how you help people. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I am a chartered financial consultant, which puts me in the financial planning space. And uh, my I would describe my practice as life insurance centric financial planning. Um, and I, I basically I help people achieve their financial objectives without taking unnecessary risks. Um, and I started my practice in 2012. So I'm a little over 11 years doing this now. Awesome. And I love Thank what you. I do. I'm, I'm glad that's the most important thing, isn't it? Absolutely. I joke all the time that I think I'll just keep doing this till they nail the coffin shut. <laughs> Same. The, the, the R word is not one in your, in, in your vocabulary, the retirement. Yeah. Not, not in the uh, conventional sense of the word for sure. <laughs> same, same here. Um, so tell me what's your approach. You've been doing this for a while now. Um, what's your approach uh, to help people, and how are you different than, let's just say, the the uh, the garden variety financial consultant, you know, planner? What's your approach? Absolutely. So um, I'm what's called a bank on yourself professional. So I, I focus on a concept um, that works around life insurance products as kind of the centerpiece of the financial planning scenario. And so I think that um, it's a little different in that uh, people, I think, need to understand where life insurance products fit. And I have a pretty strong belief that just about every family should have life insurance mixed in somewhere. Not that it's the answer to everything, um, but it, you know, it should be a component of a, of a holistic financial plan. So, you know, that's that's kind of the approach I take. And I, I find a lot of my time is spent really educating. You know, there's a, a lot of marketing messages out there that um, that are hard to sort through. So the education piece, I think, is super important just to, to help people critically think and analyze some of these topics and uh, and sort through what's marketing messages and what's uh, what's real intelligence. 
Well, let's talk about one of those marketing messages that I hear all the time, uh, because I will get in the car and uh, I don't know, I'd say a third of the time I throw on uh, sports talk. And man, if you want to hear some ads for uh, uh, male wellness clinics in air quotes and life insurance, <laughs> just turn on sports talk radio. <laughs> Um, so, sure. so what are those guys, you know, you don't need to name names, but what are those guys pitching and uh, how does that kind of factor in? And, and is that what we're talking about here? Or are we going a little more advanced? I'm guessing we are. Yeah, I think we're going quite a bit more advanced. Um, you know, it's, uh, ever, I, I always share a story that, uh, you know, you're familiar with Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, right? American hero oh, and yeah. icon. Um, and so the story I always share is, you know, why in the world in 1903 was Thomas Edison uh, electrocuting live animals on camera, right? That's such a weird thing to do for. I didn't know he did that. Now I do. <laughs> there you go. Well, here's the story that he and a guy named Nikola Tesla were in a head to head battle over whether direct current or alternating current power would go into the Niagara power station. Uh, so it was a marketing message. He was trying to prove that AC power was too dangerous to use so that he could sell his stuff, basically. And I think that's the part with marketing messages we always have to remember is, is you know, it, they're selling something. And so one of the tactics in marketing is to kill the competition. And so they, they tend to bash things that they don't like and, and, and prop up the things that they do. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's part of life, right? People are going are gonna to do that when they're trying to, to get your attention. Um, so I think what I'm saying is it's so important to think critically, to, to be able to put the marketing messages aside and, and actually do some analysis. I mean, uh, realistically, AC power uh, is obviously not too unsafe to use. The whole world works on it now because Tesla won that won that um, that debate. Um, but you know, there's still a thread of truth to it. Grab a hold of a couple of 110 wires, and it, certainly it can be dangerous, right? Um, but you have to sort through things kind of logically and and analyze numbers and, and be super clear about what you want and how does all this relate to where you want to go. And, and that's the process I really try to help uh, help folks walk through is what do I, where do I want to get and how can I get there in the least risky, uh, most efficient manner? And, you know, some of these tools are, are, um, are useful for that. So I guess my message is just kind of push the marketing messages aside and, and think for yourself. Okay, so this concept of life insurance being a foundation and, and various forms of life insurance being a foundation to a financial plan, not only in your 20s and 30s, maybe you're having kids, but also later on in life. And I have to imagine those types of products change over time. I think we've all heard about term insurance. It's pretty mm -hmm. self-explanatory, right? You have a couple of kids. You get a, you know, maybe you've got some college bills in their future. You don't want to leave anybody high and dry, so you go basically rent insurance, right? You rent a twenty or a thirty exactly. year term. It's really competitive rates, and it's pretty easy. I need a million bucks. You pay a premium. You pass some medical underwriting. You're done. Uh, what are the other types of ins of life insurance above and beyond that? Could you explain beyond the, I guess I'll call it vanilla term? which serves its purpose, right? They're low cost. Sure, absolutely. They'll cover you for a lot of years and, and it's a foundation. What are the what are the more advanced versions of, of life insurance from term? 
Yeah, great question, Matt. So uh, as you mentioned, term is the one everyone is familiar with pretty much. Uh, the other side of the life insurance coin is permanent insurance or cash value insurance. And there's a number of different varieties of that. What I tend to focus on are um, what I refer to as high cash value, low commission, dividend paying whole life insurance contracts. That's what I tend to focus on in my practice. Uh, I know a that's a mouthful. I was going to just say, I just say, that is a mouthful. Can you slow down, say that again, and then explain to me what the heck that is? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so high cash value, right? Okay. So these are, these are policies that are accumulating large amounts of cash value relatively quickly. Uh, low commission. So we are, we are, um, because of the way the policy, the way the policies that I use are designed, we're reducing the commission to the agent substantially. So low commission. Which is a benefit uh, dividend, to your premium, I, I, so to, to the to the purchaser's premium, or absolutely. Um, so if they're if the portion of the premium that pays the agent is reduced by as much as seventy percent, then of course that seventy percent is ending up in the cash value of the of the client um, right. at the end of the day. So yes, absolutely beneficial to the the policy owner. Um, and then dividend paying, right? So mutual insurance companies are paying dividends back to their policy owners. So we want to use mutual companies. Um, uh, let's see, high cash value, low commission, dividend paying, whole life. So we're using a whole life insurance contract as opposed to some of the other permanent life insurance contracts out there, uh, universal life, index universal life, things like that. Okay. Is that a good, did um, I unpack that well enough? Yeah, you did. When you say okay. permanent life and whole life, those seem almost synonymous to me. Um, I don't know anything and, about life insurance. If it's permanent, it never goes away. And if it's whole, then it covers my whole life. But that's probably not whole true. Whole life. Oh, it does. All right. uh, it does cover your whole life. Uh, the only assumption there is that you are paying your premiums. Fair enough. Okay, so we're past financial planning 101, which is you got to... Right, you got to try to max out your 401k if you can afford it, at least get the company match, right? If you can contribute to an IRA, do that. Buy your term life insurance to make sure that if something catastrophic happens, your your family, your mortgage, your children have something there, correct? Mm -hmm. What's what's uh, what's 201? What's the 201 level course here in terms of life insurance? And then, you know, if there's a 301 and a 401, we'll, we'll go there if you don't mind. Absolutely. So 201 to me is what I would call the banking equation. Um, and that's where you, you hear these terms about life insurance. I mentioned bank on yourself. That's one of the terms, uh, infinite banking, bank cash flow banking. There's a number of different, different philosophies that kind of work around using uh, permanent or cash value life insurance. And I think um, the reason for the banking term is what I call the banking equation. And the banking equation is saving, borrowing and investing. Right. We all are involved in those three things. Um, we just do it in a myriad of different ways. So from a bank on yourself standpoint, what I'm using are the unique features of a properly structured whole life insurance contract to create a system for saving, borrowing and investing. And so it, we can take things to the next level using this system um, that happens to be more efficient in many ways than the conventional system, um, you know, particularly on the borrowing and investing side of it. So um, in a nutshell, that's the, often the way I like to explain it in that we're taking control of the banking function. So I totally agree with what you just said. We have, you know, saving is the first step to any financial planning, right? We have to be having an income and putting it away. Um, 
and then building up the other retirement plans. There's nothing wrong with those. Absolutely. We want to build all these things. Although I would, I would make one note on re the retirement plan and that is let's not forget the primary purpose of a retirement plan. Uh, they were designed, uh, and I'm talking about 401ks and IRAs and Roth IRAs and things like this. You know, they were designed to supplement pension plans and social security. That's what they were designed to do. And so a pension plan produces an income that will last you in your retirement years. And I think sometimes we lose sight that the purpose of those retirement plans is to produce an income. And we want to get to that point or design the whole thing to reach that point where it produces an income we can live on like a pension would. Um, obviously, today we're not supplementing pensions, we're supplanting pensions, but you know that's a whole nother conversation. Um, so I think taking control of the banking equation is, is the 201, and, and that is how can we more efficiently save, borrow, and invest, and uh, using a platform with a properly structured whole life insurance contract is, is one very good way to do that. Okay. Um, tell me a story. Give me an example. You can change the names uh, of the guilty, but tell me a story about who you worked with on this or kind of a profile or an age or an income that would make it to where maybe it fits me, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can, I can share a few. Um, so I'll, I'll start with one that's one of my favorites, um, a, a, young, a young guy, um, military, and had spent some time overseas, saved up quite a bit of money, and was now back in, in the U.S. When, uh, when I met him. And so we were able to structure uh, a policy for him, a whole life policy, where he was able to drop a large lump sum in on the front end because uh, he had savings. He had cash savings from when he had been overseas. And so he did that. And within, um, within about two weeks, I'm going to say, from, the, from when the policy was issued, he turned around and took a policy loan against that, that contract and paid off a car he had bought. He bought a Tesla. And he paid off this Tesla and then made the same payments that he was making on the Tesla. He made back to the policy loan until it, until it was paid off in, in three or four years. Um, and so today he's still using his policy, except now he's buying real estate. He's buying rentals. I think he's on his third one now. And he's using these policy loans in this policy that he set up um, to facilitate financing these real estate. So it's a great example of someone who was able to save and then borrow against to eliminate some debt, basically, uh, in a much more efficient manner, and then ultimately invest. He's using the same platform as saving, investing, and borrowing. Um, and so that that's really the story that that I try to share is, you know, that's what we're trying to do is save, borrow, and invest. So I have another, another example I can give you if, if you'd like. I'd love it. Okay, perfect. So another client who took a different uh, approach. Um, and so this, this gentleman's in his late 50s. He's been uh, contributing to um, he, his wife, his adult son, his adult son's wife. You know, this family has several policies that they've built and they've all been contributing for probably 10 years or more. Um, so he has now started investing in real estate. So he was using the policy as a way to save. Um, they've borrowed it to start a business. They've borrowed from it to purchase vehicles. They've done all, you know, number couple of their own homes, but now they are investing in real estate syndications and they're using the funds from the policy to facilitate those real estate investments and continuing to build their wealth. And so that's another great example where you don't have to do it all at once, like like the first example. It can be done over time and you build it up. And I, I think the big thing 
with using a whole life policy this way is you're getting you're getting multiple jobs out of the same dollar of premium. You're getting this building building up of cash value, um, which is a is sort of like a savings function. Um, you're getting a death benefit at the end of the day. Take the guy with the real estate syndication. This the death benefit is sitting out there. If if he something happens to him, he gets hit by a bus tomorrow and he's only two years into this seven year syndication deal that he's doing, that death benefit comes in and really completes that investment and takes care of his wife. And you, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so you're no, getting that kind of at the end of the day, right? So yeah, it's, it's life insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, way back when I had probably the same attitude. A lot of people do. I hated life insurance. Why do I want to be worth more dead than alive? Um, that kind of thing. And, and it took um, a, a paradigm shift in just getting educated for me to understand how valuable that death benefit actually is um, when we when we really consider what it means uh, to a spouse or to children or, or those kinds of things if something happens to us. So you you, it's a savings plan. Why do not why do most people not think of life insurance as a savings plan? And and you were explaining how someone put a lump sum in you know, for whatever reason, savings or an inheritance or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and then borrowed against it um, or borrowed it out of the policy. To me, that doesn't seem like, how, do, how, how does that happen? How does that work? So if I'm paying a big premium for a big life insurance, how do I take the same thing I just paid him and take it back again? And what are the, are there tax implications? Do I get fees? Do I get, do I get, what happens? What are the consequences of putting money in something, then having it and taking it right back out? Absolutely. So I'm glad you asked that question, Matt, because the, the way policy loans work is, is part of what makes this whole philosophy unique. So if we, I mentioned we have a mutual life insurance company who pays a dividend on, uh, to policy owners. So that's a component. Now, life insurance companies are highly regulated. They have to invest in very high quality investments. So the, the state regulators make sure that they can meet their future obligations by essentially limiting what they can invest in. Well, one of the things they can invest in, one of the most solid things they can invest in are policy loans to their own policy owners. So essentially what a mutual insurance company do will do is they will look at your policy and say, okay, you have X amount of cash value on that policy. That is the limit of what we will loan you. The death benefit is effectively the collateral. And so what this does for us as a policy owner is when we borrow, we're not borrowing the money out of our policy that we just put in it. We're borrowing from the insurance company, from their general fund that's being invested. We're an investment for them. And we do pay some interest to them for that loan. Uh, it's usually simple interest and it's applied on an annual basis. So there, there's some advantages to that side of it, um, which can, can affect some very low rates, very competitive, especially now. Um, and so when we borrow from the insurance company, essentially it's a non-recourse loan. The insurance company is using the, the death benefit as collateral, which means I'm in complete control over how I pay this loan back. Uh, I can pay it back over 10 years. I can pay it back over two years. I can not make payments for a while. I can make payments for a while. I'm in complete control of that process. So for me as an advisor, I spend a lot of time educating clients on, on how what I quote unquote call being an honest banker, right? You have, you, you, you have to handle your own uh, loan situation the way you would any other type of bank or financial institution. You have to, to treat it with the same respect and responsibility. Um, that's super important. 
So um, no, there's no additional fees other than the interest that you pay to the insurance company for the loan, um, which will be you know very competitive, much 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 lower than than what commercial rates are. Again, especially now that rates are are up a bit. Um, and so yeah, I can give like you an. Are they lower than like a four hundred one k loan comparable? So it's that simple interest part that that makes the big difference. So it it it, it can be. It can be anywhere from two to five percent, depending on the pace of your repayment program. So, if you're paying it back more quickly, you're going to reduce that effective annual rate um, because they're only, they're only applying that simple rate every year. Um, so, it's not compounding. So, that really makes a, a big difference. I mean, I can I can give you another really good example. I have a gentleman uh, that I worked with recently, seventy years old, and um, he he shared with me on a call that he had over fifty thousand dollars in credit card debt. And had he, you could just hear the hopelessness in his voice. He had no idea how he was how he was going to get out from under under this burden. Um, and so when we I did the analysis, and I'm looking at over over ten years those credit cards. He was he was looking at with the rates he was paying about one hundred and twenty two thousand dollars just in interest if he didn't wow. get rid of it in ten years. Yep. It was mind boggling, right? Yeah. So we put a program together for him where it, fortunately he had been funding a whole life policy and he had about 35,000 in there and we were able to take a policy loan, pay off six of those cards. So we essentially moved those balances into the policy. We took the same payment that he was making, the minimum payments he was making to the, to the credit cards and we directed those into the policy. And, and I actually it worked a little bit for him because he was a little strapped and we put about 300 back in his budget to give him some room and the rest of it towards the policy loan. Um, and so in, uh, about a year later, we paid off the rest of the credit cards with the policy. And so within, I think it was 14 months, he had all the creditors paid off and it would take about four more years to to finish paying the policy loan off using the exact same payments he was already making. So we didn't have to do anything crazy with his budget. He's still, you know, could basically making the same payments he was making. And, but here's the, the important part is his total interest cost over the five, 5.25 5 years, whatever that figure was, his total interest cost was less than $8,000. Oh, so from wow. 122,000 and no hope to get rid of it, to everything paid off in just over five years and eight thousand dollars of interest, I, it was a, a tremendous savings for him. Tremendous savings. I mean, tremendous. if you extrapolate that age seventy into age ninety, just do the twenty years, the one twenty in interest versus eight. I mean, wow! Talk about free cash flow over those twenty years. Absolutely, and so that's a it's a combination with a policy loan of. Very, uh, very, you know, the effective interest rate on, on that scenario was uh, about two and a half percent a year, right? That's the effective rate. In compared to the credit card company. Compared right? to 28 in, in, you know, it was just insane. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me try to simplify it because I'm not that smart. Um, if I buy a, let's just say, I don't know, I got an inheritance or I saved up a bunch of money and I got a hundred thousand bucks. And I come to you and I want a lump sum and I want to do this and I want to give a lump sum payment up front. Mm -hmm. And so I can buy a $500,000 value death benefit, right, on this type of thing and have somewhere close to $100,000 in, in something sitting in cash or easily convertible to cash in the same account. 
And then I can go borrow $90,000 and go use that for something else at a very low interest rate. And that's okay with the life insurance company because when I die, not if, right? There's the old life insurance joke. It's the, you know, the only <laughs> policy you're guaranteed to use is life insurance. That, they're fine with the low interest rate. They're fine with you taking that money out because they know at some point you've got a $500,000 death benefit. And if you don't pay it back, they're going to take the 90 grand out of the 500,000, right? Is that pretty much it? Uh, in a nutshell, you've got it. 90% is a pretty good ratio. Most companies are going to loan about 90% of the cash value figure. So that that's about right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think in a nutshell, you've, you've pretty much got it. The insurance company is happy. And the, the other thing to think about too, is you're, you're borrowing from the insurance company, you're paying an effective rate of two and a half or three or 4%, depending on how you pay it down. Uh, but remember they're paying you a dividend every year too. It's based on the performance of the company. Dividends are not guaranteed because they're based on the performance of that mutual company. Most of the companies that, that I work with anyway have, have paid out dividends every single year for over 100 years. So they're you know, not guaranteed, but very consistent. Um, good track record. And so, I'd say 100 years is a good track record. Yeah, pretty good track record when you think about you know World War One and the Great Depression and World War Two and you know, all the things that that they not only survived, they performed better than expected and paid dividends to their policy owners through those those crises. And that, that says a lot. So I don't know if you've got a 301 in there, but let's go to, to life insurance 301. What's the next level beyond that? Well, I think 301 it comes uh, later in life when now it's time to retire or or whatever the case may be. And so if you've been using your policy as a as a savings and as a borrowing platform and as an, a lot of clients end up going the investing direction, using the policy as a platform, I try to stress this all the time. We don't compare a, a properly structured whole life policy that you're using for bank on yourself. We don't compare that to a retirement plan or to real estate or to some other type of investment. It's, it's the thing we use to facilitate all those things. And so it's an and, not an either or, it's and. We're going to build up the equity in this policy and use it for real estate investing or use it for whatever the case may be. So I think 301 then becomes passive income. How, how do we then take this, this that we've built up and turn that into a passive income that we can then use for retirement? So that I think is 301. And so at the end of life, it can be something as simple as taking the, the built up equity. Let's say we've built up $500,000 of cash value by this time or 700 or a million or whatever that number is. We can then, we can then create a reverse income stream coming out of the policy. And if we structure it right, so that we're taking advantages of, of the unique features of life insurance in terms of you can, you can pull money out of a life insurance policy up to your basis with no tax. We know we can take loans with no tax uh, under current tax law. So what that creates is an opportunity for us to create this reverse income stream from the policy where we can uh, take regular withdrawals up to the basis for let's say 20 years and we haven't paid any tax because now, now we hit the basis point. At that point, we switch to loans and we stick the same amount, but we're taking it as a loan. And this is the only time we're not going to pay a loan back because we're expecting, hmm. we're expecting to, um, to die essentially before that policy <laughs> runs out gonna, of money. I knew what right? you were going to say because <laughs> we're expecting to die. I think we all yes. expect so, that at some point. So we're going to so plot those income. The strategy income. there becomes 
you've got a cash value and you've got a death benefit, but you're basically taking money out cash that you've got in there without thinking about a repayment plan because at that point, you're going to yes. get it anyway. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're really, what you're doing is once you switch to loans, you're, you're letting the death benefit pay the loan at the end. And so you're that just using sense. it as income. You're going to let the death benefit come in and take care of it. And if we structure it that way, I mean, I, we can, we can create 20, 30 years of income completely tax-free under current tax law. So, so that there's your 301, right? We've, we've eliminated a huge amount of tax. We've created supplemental income for most people. It'll be supplemental income, um, to, to augment a pension or rental properties or whatever the other things are they're using. Um, and, and we've been able to eliminate tax on, on that supplemental income if we structure it the correct way. Yeah. Um, that's exciting. I think no one, everybody likes the idea of not paying taxes. Uh, a thought occurred to me and, and I'll say, I'll ask if there's a 401 and if you give me a 401, I might keep going into grad school, 501 and 601, <laughs> but we can stop with 401. Um, it, it, the income stream piece and is there, is there, is there an age? And here's why I ask, um, what if I want to retire early? Mm -hmm. What if I want to retire at 55? Now there's, we all know there's a gap, right? So you can't touch your 401k or IRAs until 59 and a half minimal. And a lot of people will tell you don't because you still got potentially another 40 years to live. Um, right. And social security doesn't kick in until 62 minimum. Most people, including myself, will tell you don't take that at 62 either. Max that bad boy out at 70. Um, and then Medicare doesn't kick in for your health insurance until 65, except for extenuating circumstances due to disability. Is, you know, age, I mean, I'm going to pick that number, age 55. There's minimum four and a half years there before you can touch any of your retirement assets without penalty. And then mm -hmm. another, another two and a half until at bare minimum you can take Social Security and then another three after that before you get your medical coverage taken care of. Is this type of life insurance policy, if you have the assets, or at least you start planning in your 20s and 30s and putting into this, is, is this type of product a viable option for people that are looking to retire that early? It's actually extremely common, Matt. Um, design plan, I design plans all the time where the policy is the gap. The policy fills the gap. Right. So we've got we've got IRAs, we've got 401ks, we've got uh, maybe some annuities in the mix, but we can't touch any of that because it's all qualified. Uh, in other words, it's all been pre-tax. So we really can't touch it till 59 and a half. But here's this person that wants to retire at 53 or 55 or your example, 55. So we can fill that five, six, seven year gap using the policy, pulling income from the policy. And in many cases, we're 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 pulling from the policy just for the seven years. So we're, we don't necessarily even deplete the policy that bad because we're going to stop after seven years and let it continue building again. And then, then we start pulling income from some of these other sources um, in order to you know move forward. So yes, we use it as the gap filler all the time. It's a great resource for that because you do have access to it no matter what your age is, you can get to your cash. That's probably one of the key features of all this is maintaining access and control um, to your money because it's in the policy and you're in control of it. You can use it for whatever you want. And when you withdraw a loan, it's tax-free. It doesn't matter your age or your tax bracket, it's tax-free, right? Is that what I heard? Correct, yes. 
under current tax law. Under, <laughs> thanks for that disclaimer. <laughs> under current tax law, if you're listening to this in uh, 2029, might be different. Um, right. The um, okay. So, is there a 401 here? Class well, level so 401? so actually there is, and and I I guess I would call the 401 um, the idea of what's been called uh, the the family banking um, scenario with all of this, and so I mentioned a family. Uh, a few minutes ago where uh, husband and wife both have multiple policies, adult kids have policies. Um, and I have some examples too, where grandkids are, are getting policies as soon as they're born. And so you can create this um, framework, if you will, where there, there might be a dozen policies across a family with, I don't know, let's say $2 million in cash value across all these policies over multiple generations. And so there are families out there who have begun to be the bank for the family. So if uh, if Sally's getting ready to go to college, she comes to the family bank for the financing for college, and they you know and they and they do it like a bank would do it. They Sally gets a contract. Here's the repayment terms after you graduate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or if somebody wants to start a business, they can now come to the family bank and make their make their business case, and um, and the family. You know, that a lot of people will set up a, a board. Um, sometimes you put all this inside of a kind of a trust. Uh, so you can create that, that to me is 401. We're now leveraging multiple generations and multiple policies to create a financing resource effectively for the family within the family. And then, of course, as older generations pass, death benefits come in and all these generations below them have been taught how to do this. So what do they do with the death benefits? They drive them into new policies and it makes the bank bigger at generation after generation after generation. That's pretty mind blowing. It's, it is pretty mind blowing. One of the names for this concept is infinite banking, right? Cause it's just the kind of the directions you could go with some of these concepts is kind of infinite. So if I've got a permanent whole life insurance product with cash value building up. So I've taken, I went to, I went to, I went to life insurance 201, right? I went to that class. Uh -huh. 101, I had the term, <laughs> I went to the 201 and I got money coming out of my check every month or my, or my checking account. And I, and I'm doing this. How do I know if I've got enough or how do I, I mean, is it right? Is it time for me to look at my, buying my kids one if they're broke or they're in college do i fund it myself like what are some practical ways of thinking about how to take that step at from 201 to 301 and 401 yeah absolutely that um so a lot of people do policies for their kids it's a great way to teach them about saving um if, if you take the time to explain how it's working and this is the premium and this is what's happening with it and these are this is the cash building up and when you're 21, this, you know, potentially is the value it could have for you. Um, and then they can pick it up and run with it at that point too. So uh, there's a lot of ways to approach it, but it's a great way to teach your kids some responsible saving habits in, in a very safe, uh, guaranteed way. Um, you know, we're not putting a lot at risk or, or, or risking losing uh, chunks of their, of their savings. So um you know, I, I think that is a, a good way to teach kids. Now, my recommendation to, to, to folks is always that the parents should be maximized as much as possible before, before we're taking on policies for kids. 
So it's just just uh, kind of my approach to it. I think that if you look at the death benefit on the parent, if something happens to the parent, uh, there's a much greater benefit that will pass to the kids than a policy of their own building up for, for 10 or 12 years. Um, but once the parents reach that point where their objectives are pretty much covered, then it totally makes sense. Um, it, you know, if they want to continue putting cash away into policies, then it makes sense that to do that into juvenile policies on kids or on young adult kids, you know, not a juvenile policy, uh, where the parents are really supplementing or grandparents supplementing the, the, the premiums going into these. So then when you put these together and you've seen these families kind of pooling assets and pooling savings, obviously someone comes to the table, you know, my 22 year old daughter is not going to have a hundred grand sitting in the account. She's lucky to have a dollar in her account right now. Um, <laughs> but, but, but maybe I've got, you know, and I don't, but maybe I've got a million bucks. Um, um, but you say, take me back to the concept of family banking. Does that mean I cancel my Chase or my Bank of America or my Wells Fargo stuff? Or is this kind of a help help me help my mind wrap around this concept? Because you said like, hey, you know, Sally needs to go to college. There's a instead of going to go pay, you know, get federal loans or, um, you know, the, the cost of living loans that have mm -hmm. pretty high interest rates right now. Yes. You come here. Do you, do you charge an interest rate? You don't, you just have a repayment plan. Um, and that's a contract. I mean, that's, boosh, that's, that's way beyond what normal, you know, online, uh, uh, news investment advice is going. Can you talk a little bit, a bit more about that? Cause, um, it's, that's a new concept. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it, it really is, is it's actually quite simple. Um, you know, there's a, a network of policies and everybody who's an individual policy owner has agreed that they're going to be part of the network. And so Sally needs a loan to go to, to go to college and, and she approaches the family and says, I, you know, I want to go to go to school and here's what it's going to cost and here's what I'm going to need. And, you know, she gets to make her case. Uh, you know, if her grades are good and, you know, all the risks that are involved there for any other financial institution would, would come into play, at least if you're doing it smartly. Um, and they do, they, they put a contract together with, with Sally and they say, here's, you know, the amounts you're going to get for first year, second year, third year, fourth year. And, and this is the interest rate and we're going to defer the interest until you graduate. And then six months after you graduate, uh, we're going to start the repayment and this is what that's going to look like. And, and, you know, so it should be very, very formalized. Uh, that's good for Sally and it's good for the other family members who are part of this network of, of policies that they're administering to make everything above board and official and, uh, and documented. And then, you know, there's, there's also to kind of get off in the weeds a little bit, obviously there are some, um, some potential tax scenarios around being a lender. And so the, the more formalized all of this is with your CPA and your accountant getting involved in, and structuring these loans the correct way, you can, you know, make sure that it's getting reported to the IRS the correct way. And, and that can create some tax advantages for being the lender also. You know, you used college, which is a great example. And most anybody else has ever heard is use 529 plans, which... Right. I mean, so if you're starting right now and you've got a newborn and you're thinking, man, I'm going to try to do my 529 plan, this is an alternative, isn't it? It totally is an alternative. And um, I would definitely look at this as, as a, um, 
as a comparison to a 529. There, there are a lot of advantages to using a whole life contract. Uh, you know, uh, as the as the cash values are building up, you're not you're not going to have a market crashing and lose half of it. If uh, Sally decides not to go to college, you then have a problem to figure out what to do with this cash you have sitting here without without paying a big tax bill. You're not going to have that issue. Um, and then, you know, the, the oftentimes too, in the financial aid calculations, uh, assets that are sitting in uh, life insurance contracts can uh, can avoid some of those calculations. So on the financial aid side, it can be a real benefit to have a significant amount sitting in one of these contracts as opposed to a 529, which will absolutely count in those calculations. John, why don't more people know this? I mean, I know life insurance isn't sexy. And when you say the word life insurance, <laughs> you think the first thing I started talking about, which is term life insurance to make sure if you die, your your spouse and kids and you you know, don't don't go to the poorhouse. To use the right. old life game, um, which they changed that by the way. Have you ever noticed that? You play a new that board game life? It's I no longer played it in a long time. time. Okay, well, that's a side conversation, but yeah, if you right. played it back in the 70s, uh, the boards changed to be a little nicer uh, when you yeah. when you fail. So anyway, I, nice. I bet somebody <laughs> out there listening is nodding their head. But this isn't, is it because it's not sexy or because it's just what you read and see and hear in the, you know, online uh, stuff is just basic vanilla doesn't get into this 201, 301, 401 level stuff? Or, or am I off base and I've just missed it? No, you haven't missed it. It's um, There's a marketing machine out there around financial services and financial planning. And it and it often just the, the conventional approach just doesn't include other than term life insurance. It just doesn't include life insurance. Um, it's just not discussed. I actually found my way into this industry really because of that. Um, I had a particularly bad real estate failure in the 2008 crash scenario. And I, I um, learned about this concept after that. And I realized I went back and ran the numbers. I'm kind of a numbers guy. I went back and ran the numbers and I went, my goodness, if somebody had just told me about this before that project, it could have really changed the whole outcome of, of, of how that turned out. Um, and so, you know, I've met with many financial advisors and nobody had ever you know, I heard about this on a webinar in the middle of the night. Um, and, and like I said, at the time, I hated the idea of life insurance. So when I heard this advisor talking about um, a couple and their home equity and this life insurance policy that was building up these cash values that they were using, I was just like, what is he talking about? I had just my first exposure to the idea that it could be something else. And nobody is talking about it. And their financial advisors in general are just not talking about it. Um, so I was, I was, I set up my own policies back then and was using them and uh, personally, and then uh, just decided I'm ready for a career change. I was in industrial sales at the time and uh, got licensed, pursued a bunch of training and started my practice in 2012, mainly to share this message because it's, it's just not out there that much. Well, you're getting it out there now and uh, <laughs> I love hearing about it. We're, you know, let me ask you the opposite though, the other side of this coin, what are your detractors, not yours, that's personalizing it, for the plan and the approach, what would the detractors say? Well, you have the, you have the camp that is buy term and invest the difference. And yep. um, so they'll say, you know, avoid 
whole life insurance or cash value life insurance, just buy the term you need and then take the money you would be spending on the other on the other stuff and invest that. Um, and I, I have a whole a whole uh, kind of routine that I go through with people to, to kind of talk about that a little bit, because the built in assumption is that there's a, an average rate of return figure that you can expect by investing the difference. Um, the built in assumption is that most people will actually take the difference and invest it when in reality, most people will spend it. Um, and, and the whole concept of rates of return just fall apart, really. So, so that's probably the biggest one is buy term and invest the difference. And of course, most of the people who are promoting buy term and invest the difference want to manage your investments, right? Some marketing messages yeah. again, right there. What are they selling now? And I don't differentiate myself either. I mean, a lot of what I'm talking about could also be considered a marketing message. And that's why I don't want you to just take my word for it either. What I want you to do is sit down and talk to me and let's crunch some numbers. And I'll, I am totally transparent. I'll give you all the information I possibly can. And then you decide if this makes sense and if it's a good fit. And that I think is really the correct approach. Um, and then you've got some some folks out there that are just absolute uh, hate insurance products. And, you know, the, so there's a, there's a particular slogan out there, you know, says, I hate annuities, right? And so should you, um, a marketing right. slogan. So, so there's, there's that element out there too, in terms of detractors, where it's just, as long as it's not insurance, anything else, right? Um, but again, you got to recognize that for what it is. It's a marketing message and, and you really have to sort through what that means. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, this has been really, I mean, I've learned a lot uh, and I've had my life and health license for 20, geez, 22 years now. Yeah. And I got to pass that CE and I got to pass that test every, what, two or three years. If, if uh, um, right. and I, you know, I've got enough to know about what life insurance is, but I'm on the health insurance side. Um, but I never knew mm -hmm. this was out there and the ability to, to, to do this type of deep thing. Um, are there other options? I guess I'll ask it. Is there a 501 having to do with long-term care planning or uh, anything else? Or am I, am I just, am I just stacking numbers here? 101 to 501. Is, is, is there something um, else there? I, I'm sh I'm sure I can make this work. Um, so with, <laughs> with the, <laughs> So um, on the long-term care side, a lot of these policies have um, chronic critical or terminal illness coverage built into the death benefit that will give people access to a portion of that death benefit, in some cases up to 95% of it, while they're still alive, if they have a qualified chronic illness or specified medical condition or terminal illness where they're going to die within a year. Um, those kinds of things. So, so there actually is a component of it that can help you with that. The, the other thing too, is those cash values can also come in handy in terms of, um, protecting some of the other assets. So if, if we're in a situation with long-term care and funds are running short and somebody's in a position where they've got to start paying down assets, there is some protection by having the life insurance coverage in place in that scenario. So I don't know if I'd call that 501, but there's definitely a healthcare function. I, you know, I mentioned you're getting a lot of jobs with, with the same premium dollar, right? We have death benefit, we have uh, cash value building up in terms of savings. We've got low cost financing that we can access. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got this healthcare benefit that, that can be there. We've got a retirement income stream that we can create. 
Uh, we've got creditor protection in most states. Uh, you know, there's just a whole list of benefits that we're getting for the same dollar premium. When if I have a financial advisor um, who is looking at my, uh, you know, my investments, quote unquote, uh, mm-hmm. but we've had, a, I mean, obviously, every financial advisor should, I mean, I have to say every should, you know, look at the life insurance piece. Um, there's some questions I should ask my financial planner um, about this topic to kind of test his or her metal in the life insurance piece. Um, what should I be asking and what should I be listening for? Yes. So I think the main question is, um, it is around safety. So here, here's my portfolio. Here's how I'm allocated. Um, you know, is there any, is there any, should I consider some life insurance products as a safe part of my portfolio? Would that make sense? And, and I think what, what you're looking for is an advisor who's open to that conversation. Um, a red flag would be advisors that are going to come back and say, Oh no, stay away from that. You know, bank on yourself is a scam. You know, they don't even want to talk about it. Um, it should, you should be able to have a conversation. This was a huge shock to me when I started my practice in 2012, I believed that, and that's because I didn't have a background in this industry. So I didn't know. Um, I believed there should be this great synergy between investment, the types of advisors that work in investments and the types of advisors like me that work mainly with insurance. Um, and that's not true at all. There's, there's a great divide between the two. And, and I, I still kind of have this mission that I, w- I would love to see more integration between the two sides. Uh, there's, there's no reason two advisors can't work together, one who's insurance-centric and one who's investment-centric, and, and develop plans for people that actually make a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, I, 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 think, uh, I think asking about it is good, but also go into an understanding that you're, you're probably going to have to go seek out someone like me to, to actually get information because the, the, a lot Got of these it. guys just the, these folks just don't have the training or the inclination to get it right it's it's like a whole nother branch of things that they're probably not going to get into um so bring it up for sure and it you know and it's not that you have to to fire one to to do the other i think that's the impression too um you know there's nothing wrong with with having a, a couple of advisors on your team you know, that is a really true statement and one that uh, isn't natural to think of. You can't have more than one financial advisor. It's not a, there's no rule that says you have to pick one and stick with it. I mean, and I don't mean firing either. Like you can have mm-hmm. two or three or even four. It's probably really helpful. They all know about each other, but sure. you don't have to stick with one like you might. Uh, I don't know, I guess a spouse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yes. You don't have to be married to your, to your financial advisor. Right. Um, so uh, no, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, uh, you look at sports teams, uh, you have coaches for every different aspect. You have a, a quarterback coach and an offensive coach and a defensive coach and a, right. So there, there's nothing wrong with having coaches who specialize in a particular area uh, that just gives you access to greater expertise than you would have with the one. Well said. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, and I know people listening or watching did too. Uh, what questions about life insurance as it relates to financial planning did I not ask that I should have? Uh, so let's see. I think um, I think the the question was around policy loans. That there's um, there's actually a very important point that that we should touch on. 
Um, and that is there, we talked about interest and how the interest is pretty low. There's another aspect to policy loans um, where the policy continues to grow in the background as if, as if you didn't borrow the money. So if you have your cash value, you take the loan. So that the guy I mentioned that took the loan to pay off the Tesla, he borrowed out yep. virtually his limit on the cash value. But over the course of the time while he was paying the Tesla back, the cash values continued to grow in the policy as if that money was still there. And, and then when he paid the loan off, so in other words, the policy is going to grow by a larger amount every year, whether you borrow from it or not. And so you, you can borrow from it, pay a very low interest rate and continue to get the growth in the policy you would have gotten if you didn't borrow. It's called non-direct recognition. It sounds confusing, but it's actually pretty straightforward. Um, and that's, so that's, a, that's a question we didn't get into that we probably should have. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought it up because it you're right. It did sound confusing, but it's really not. If you think about the death benefit, that makes sense. They're going to get their money one way mm -hmm. or another. Either you're going to pay it back with a little bit of interest or eventually you're going to die and they're going to get it back anyway. Why wouldn't they make that a feature and a benefit that, you know, you know, 10%, not 10% growth, but let's pretend it's 10% growth on $100,000 is a lot different than 10% growth on $10,000. And so yes. using that silly example, you're saying when you take those loans out with certain products, your, your value will continue to grow as if you had the entire amount in, even though you don't. And that's really because they've got a backstop and that would be your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that was a great question to get into. But, um, you know, other than that, I think it, it's really a philosophy um, that focuses on safety, control and creating passive income streams. And we're using the unique features of specially structured whole life contracts to facilitate to facilitate that system. John, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, my pleasure. It's been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, same. Appreciate it. The Matt Ferret Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Ferret Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Mad Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Mad Ferret Show are those of the host and The Mad Ferret Show guests only and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, 
nor is the Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of the Matt Ferret Show. 